0: Cuckoo to the monde, the Bookworms. We have a fun bonus episode for you today. We recorded this in the middle of our third respective lockdowns, and it was all because we wanted to spend a bit of time together. We thought we'd share it with you.
1: Yeah, I received recently a really great gift of Julia Child's um, very famous Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Um, And if you've listened to our podcast, you know how much we love to cook and how much we love French cooking. Julia Child was an incredible um, icon in the cooking world, and she basically brought French technique and French cooking to America. Um, So we thought it would be fun to talk about her incredible life um, and cook along together. So we actually have two episodes, this is a two-parter, but our first uh, chat is just about The woman, the legend, the maybe spy, we kind of get into that. It's really exciting.
0: (laughs) Hey, Miranda, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm so excited. How are you? (laughs) I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty pumped about this too. Embracing my inner Julia Child today. Exactly. I'm so, so
1: excited because I've had this Julia Child book for a few months now, and I've only made like two recipes from it. It's enormous. Um, This is, I'm talking about her Mastering the Art of French Cooking, her famous, famous uh, book. And I'm really excited to like do like a cook along
0: with my bestie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I actually recently read... Her like autobiographical novel, My Life in France, which she talks about writing oh. this bu- this cookbook, and it took like ten years. I never knew that. Like the amount of labor yeah. and love that went into the- <laughs> mastering the art of French cooking is insane. Yeah, how
1: was that book? I thought that that one was published like posthumously.
0: Yes, so I think it was her nephew that started the project mm-hmm. with her. And they did almost all cool. the work and she wound up passing away just a few months before he finished writing wow. it. So it was very it was very cute. I really enjoyed it and I, I felt like you could really see her personality come through and her experiences and Aww. although she was in her nineties, you know, it's kind of cool to think about with perspective of what stories stick out and how much people can mean to yeah. you even decades down the line.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the weirdest thing about Julia Child is that she's huge for non-French people. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of like known by French people, but not not a big deal. And she's like
0: what, she's iconic French cooking in North America. She is the French chef for like North Americans. She brought (laughs) French cuisine to the US to like households well, I guess in North America in general, you're in Canada, but I can speak for the U.S. Yeah. Of, like she was it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah well, I like,
0: can, well, I can speak about French people not knowing because as I read that book, I was like, oh, it's Julia Child and my uh, in-laws and my partner were like, who? And so then I tried to say it like with the accent. I was like, Julia, she the, and they're like, nope. And I was like, all right, she is the French chef. And they're like, mm-mm, nope. And I was like, she went to the Cordon Bleu, like, she's, she lived in France. Oh, like, my gosh. And I was just like, no idea. I was like, her her kitchen is literally in the Smithsonian in D.C. Like, Americans put her kitchen in a museum. And my partner even saw the kitchen. I was like, it was that kitchen. He was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny.
1: It's, I know. Yeah. She... Like, the foreword of the of the book of uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking is very much, like, geared towards North American cooks. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely trying to teach the Julia Child before she was in France how to cook, like, right. here in France. Um, Because, like, I feel like before we talk about the recipe we're going to do today, we should talk about Julia Child in general. Because she was so cool. She oh did gosh, yeah. so much in her life. It's incredible. She's also... I complain about being tall, but she was six two. And yeah. that's pretty incredible.
0: <laughs> I also loved her her husband. They were just such a cool couple way ahead of their times. <gasps> yes. Like she was taller. Her sister as well married a much shorter man. and I just think that's mm-hmm. it. go go girls and they traveled the world together. He was so
1: supportive. Yeah.
0: and they're iconic Valentine's Day cards. Everyone, Google, Julia Child's Valentine's Day cards. Oh, hilarious. I mean, their humor was not 1950s humor. I'm sorry. They were so cool. (laughs) They were so cool. And they have the most,
1: like, beautiful um, quote of, like, Paul, her husband, has said to her in, like, I think it's in a letter, but it's been published that it's, like, uh, uh, you are the butter to my bread and the breath to my life. Like, oh, (laughs) that's so perfect. Yeah, they met in... they met in China when she was on a posting there for the uh, intelligence service Yeah, during the war and the they married.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And like they married when they got back to Pennsylvania and then they moved to Paris shortly after the war. Yeah. And I, I mean, thinking about Paris after the war must be an incredible like capture of t- like time capture just of that yeah. place. Cause it, I don't know. I feel like we forget how affected France was during the
0: the Second World War. I think it, we kind of had that too with Giovanni's room, because it would have been the same time period, and it was so interesting to see how old world Paris was as a capital yes. still in the fifties. But you know, we do forget the the impact. And before we get too distracted, I just think it's so cool to have the perspective of like diplomacy and a diplomat family. But give, yes. you know, because they moved all over the world. They were in Southeast Asia. They were in China, Washington, France, as in Paris, and Marseille. Then they moved to Germany and Norway. I mean, they were just like, that is what yeah. foreign service is. But it's, it was really cool. And it was a very interesting perspective that she could still have her career. And even, she started cooking in her 30s. She, she yes. was such a late bloomer. Not t- I don't know, I'm, I'm mid-20s and I'm like oh my gosh I don't know what I want on my life and she's she discovered her purpose so much later and also you can have such a great life your life does not end in your 20s I don't know why we have this feeling of like you don't know what you want or you can't change yeah. your mind like she went from intelligence work to cooking and became a television <laughs> celebrity
1: <laughs> right exactly and like to see someone who was born in like Pasadena, California, and then she went all over the world, like the the reach that she has and the life that she l- lives. I'm with you. It's very inspiring that she was older when she, when she, even when she married, she was older.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so she didn't find this until, I don't know, later, which is good. It's,
0: and she was, it, it makes what, seven, it, eight years younger than her husband, too? So, you know. Yes. It was cool. Very different from what you normally hear about. 50s housewives and stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So should we talk about what we're what we're going to cook today?
0: Yes. Well, I think you should introduce it. You are the beholder of the mastering <laughs> artist French cooking. And as we all know from our Instagram and blog, you can churn out some French recipes, girl. Very Aww. impressive. So yeah, t- kick us off. Give us a little background maybe of what it is. Sure. The Art of French Cooking is
1: basically an encyclopedia (laughs) of French cooking, and it was first rejected from the original contract that three women signed. It's Julia Child, but she also wrote the book with Louise Bertoll and Simone Beck.
0: To an extent, if you read the book, man.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, so it's these three women, and they want to bring French cooking to North America. And so we're on Chapter 6, Poultry, and I saw this recipe, and it's Fricasse de Poulet à l'Ancienne, which is old fashioned chicken fricasse with wine flavored cream sauce, onions, and mushrooms. Uh. And I'm super excited for that. Um, but yeah, there's just like a couple things that are interesting about this. The best thing I find about this book is that she has a wine suggestion for every recipe. And so nice. that seems very French. <laughs> For this one, she says, serve a chilled, fairly full-bodied white burgundy, Cote d'Aron, or Bordeaux Grave.
0: I have a white burgundy. Belgogne. Nice. Right. Burgundy very was on nice. the list, right?
1: Yep, burgundy's <laughs> okay. fine. And there are a couple things that I wanted to, like, talk about before we start cooking, because the... The recipe's so interesting. (laughs) One of the things that I noted, like, immediately when I looked at it was that they talk about getting two pounds of cut-up frying chicken. And I don't know about you, like, maybe it's just my family, but we didn't really differentiate between chicken. Like, there was just chicken.
0: I'm not gonna lie, I got chicken breast because I did not... I didn't know what frying chicken was.
1: (laughs) That's fair. I got I got chicken thighs because I like thighs more, but I don't think that there's
0: to be fair. A that's probably more what you would fry up. I could see that you're probably smarter.
1: No, I mean I think look she, the other thing about this is she's really vague. Some of these are like you know one thinly sliced onion, carrot, and celery stock. I'm assuming that's one of each. I don't know. It's not clear. Um, you know she kind of just talks generally about what you're supposed to add um but that's you know that's new but she actually does talk about a little bit like the difference between frying chicken roasting chicken and stewing chicken which are basically just to do with the like the age of the chicken which is makes sense because like older is a bit tougher just like everything young like you know baby spinach is like a little less uh tough than others
0: yeah okay so back to this chicken because I find it very interesting how are we supposed to know the age of the chicken like is this normal in Canada
1: I remember when I was in France that they talked about the difference between like chapon and poulet and that there was like there was poulet, and then there was a chapon, which I think so. Is a like chapon is order. a
0: castrated cock, like it's a castrated male. Okay. Rooster. Huh. So okay.
1: that doesn't help. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do know that.
1: I just remember there being different things that people talked about in, like they differentiated, but now I don't remember any of it.
0: Well, as the current resident, maybe I'm not in the right circles or, like, not high enough in the gastronomy world because, I don't know, I did not see It's just chicken. It was just chicken. (laughs) I mean, various (laughs) different types. And, like, to be fair, like, even at the grocery store, I mean, you can get horse meat, you can get every type of giblets. And yeah, most animals that you wouldn't see in the U.S., we have... Just yes. at any grocery, local grocery store, you don't even have to yeah. go to a specialty shop.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well. Anyway, she she talks about younger chickens like shouldn't really be used in the frying chicken because it's so soft and tender that it'll dry out and become mm. stringy, and that like older chickens need longer cooking, so like simmering is kind of perfect.
0: And that's all included in the description of the recipe, so you're actually like learning as yeah. you cook.
1: Yeah. So it's before every sort of like sub chapter. So there's a whole chapter yeah. on on poultry, but we're into the fricassee, which she just, she talks about how a fricassee, a saute and a stew are different. So <laughs> do you know how they're
0: different? I feel like a stew takes a long time. Like that's tougher meats and you let it, you let it like absorb it. Like to me, like beef stew is like something you put in a crock pot for right. hours, or like beef bourguignon. For me, is like some, you get like the jaw yeah. of the you know you really need it to like soak up that wine, to to be able to cut it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So what she talks about is that like a saute is not really liquid based. Like you add cream to it or you finish it, but it's not really like braised. Okay. Um, There's not a ton of liquid. And she said, a stew you would add like a lot of liquid because over those hours it's gonna break down. And she said, a fricassee is somewhere in between the two. So you, Ooh, you sort of so add, that's why we still add like the for wine. example, we're adding right like we're adding wine. We're gonna add chicken stock, um, and we're finally gonna add cream. It's not enough that it's gonna boil down over many hours. Mm-hmm. Like this recipe is really should only take us like forty five minutes.
0: Okay. Well, that's very interesting. I did not know the difference between sauté fricassé and stew. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, did you have any trouble finding any of the uh, ingredients for this recipe? There are quite a few uh, ingredients, but actually they they seem pretty straightforward. So
0: I would say celery stock is a little bit harder to find in France, which is so funny because... Mm. To me, that is celery. We always have stocks. That's what we put it in tuna salad. We put it in chicken salad. You eat it with peanut butter. Like, And it's so interesting because one time I was like, we need celery for this recipe. And my partner brings back the, like root celery because that's what celery is in French. Like celery. It's the same word. Right. It's the same thing. It's just a different part of like the vegetable. Right.
1: And... <laughs> I think we would we would call that celeriac, right? Yeah, like, I
0: think so. But it was just so funny. Or celery
1: like, root. Yeah.
0: Because <laughs> we had two different <laughs> ideas and like they smell the same. But so like now I know <laughs> where to look for the actual branch, like céleri Branche here in France. Oh, okay. But, and I did get the like Bouquet garni. That's like already done. It's super easy to find. And I feel like that might not be the case outside of France.
1: Yeah, it's not. Uh, so there's no, or like what we're talking about with bouquet garni is that it's like a parsley, bay leaf, and thyme, and it's kind of like uh, tied up all together, and you just kind of throw it into so like a, stew make a bouquet. Or...
0: Like it's a, instead of being a bouquet of flowers, it's a bouquet of herbs. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and this is like really traditional in French cooking, and you put it in a lot of stuff, which is why they sell it in like gigantic packs. <laughs> But um I could not find that, so I have t- I've sort of like rejigged it for myself. I have all those things, but I had to buy them separately and I've put them together.
0: <laughs> Fair. And then it didn't specify what kind of butter. So in France they're very butter specific. In the US I didn't really <laughs> know. It was like there were just butter options. But then here we have salted butter, we have sweet butter, we have unsalted butter, we have half salted butter, we got all types mm-hmm. of margarine, because mm-hmm. the French invented margarine, which I'm not a fan of, but anyways, I went with wow. half I didn't salted, know that. oh yeah, they were the, they're still the leaders, I feel like, they consume a lot more, which, ugh, no, like that's really? why there's a difference, if you're in France, and you go to a boulangerie, and you want a croissant, you need to get the croissant au beurre, because if not, it's made with margarine, and I'm just telling you, it sounds good. Wow. Oh my goodness.
1: I did not know that. Wow. That's why that's there's a difference of...
0: if you okay. see the two, and normally the croissant au beurre is yeah. like a few cents more, but like, worth it, guys. Worth it. Mm-hmm. No question.
1: Oh, it's worth it. Well, when we were, sorry, this is a tangent, but when we were in France the first year, um... We were like living through the butter butter shortage year. Do you remember that? And I went to a cooking class, and like there was a butter shortage for some reason. I don't remember what it was, but butter was like more expensive than usual, and everyone was really upset about it. Like we're talking about like eighty cents more, right? Like not a ton more expensive,
0: but I went to a cooking. Be taking to the streets, basically riot,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that I went to a like cooking class and they talked about it and they were like, oh, it's really messing with my margins, like it's really bad and like it, it's don't you notice that? Oh, it's awful. Like we don't know what to do. I was like, okay. So that just tells you how like ubiquitous
0: it is in French cooking. Yeah, people get heated very much about mm-hmm. very little things, but you know, welcome to French gastronomy. yeah I think it's really interesting with like the discussions of the different types of cream like I have crème fraîche I have like thick creams whereas like you cannot find crème fraîche and I know like Julie Child wrote about it so much in her book like she's like oh my gosh there's no crème fraîche in the United States like this is such an issue Um, because it's not quite sour cream guys like Americans, I think they'll no. think it is because it looks it's like not. it has a very similar consistency, but it's not at all the same. Yeah. And so I know that's kind of hard. And it's, it's also like the different types of cream. We have thick cream, thin cream. We have full fat. I mean, the my gosh, like I'm always lost. And especially when I go to get American recipes, I never know which creams to get to like make sure that they're the same as the French ones. I'm always lost.
1: Right. The thing that I think is weird is in Canada we have percentages on all of our dairy products basically. So like from milk to cream you have a percentage of like the cream content or like the um the cream, yeah, the cream solids or whatever. And so I drink like 2% milk and if I had whole right. milk that would be 3.25 like and then there's oh. table cream which is 10% and I have like whipping cream which is 35% so like that is very uh, like logical to me
0: oh you know I am learning so much right now because I'm sure (laughs) I'm sure these words correspond with numbers and I never knew that sorry guys I'm exposing my very like (laughs) limited knowledge of things I brute force my kitchen
1: I think in France, it's, like, more, like, they just say whole milk, or they just say, like, cream, or, like, it's, like, creme or yeah, whatever like it is. Yeah, it's,
0: légère. Uh, yeah. And they have, like, they, I did find whipping cream, but it's, no, it's like, normally mixed with, like, mascarpone, which, like, changes it. Like, it's fine if you wow. like it. Wow. Like, I don't know.
1: Interesting. Not
0: all the time, but sometimes it, Right. Know the french people are gonna like email us being like you're so wrong what store are you going to helen
1: (laughs) no but i i used to whenever i used to like bake when i was in france i would get the little like cartons that are they're really small they look like juice boxes but they're like cream and because everything in france is like UHT, which is ultra pasteurized um it can like sit on your counter until you open it which is just super weird to me
0: well, isn't it weird uh, though? Just, it's like either super pasteurized where like milk is not refrigerated at the grocery store or you get 100% le creux, like raw yeah. cheese, raw milk. Like th- there's no in between. It's either... I, I literally,
1: other. that was my like conundrum is I found like raw milk. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this. I found like a raw milk supplier in when I was living in France and I was like, this is way better. Like I like this so much more, but it's like, yeah, you got to drink it within like two days. Because yeah. it's raw, like it's unpasteurized. So I don't know. It. I don't really get it. We refrigerate all of the dairy products.
0: <laughs> in, in our household, we refrigerate our eggs, even though they're not sold in the refrigerated aisle. We just we. It's a habit. Both of us had actually. That's we grew a up big with deal. It. I grew up with it, and it's not required because they don't wash them. So in a the bleached yeah. white eggs, that's what they are. They're bleached. That's why they're white, and that takes off this film that actually protects the eggs that that's why we have to refrigerate that's why they're stored in the refrigerated section in the grocery stores and if they're not bleached therefore brown or blue or pink you know we have a variety of egg colors depending on where and when then you don't need to because it has that protective film but i don't know we do you can and we do
1: (laughs) yeah no that was like a big deal i remember like looking for eggs and being like why are the eggs not next to the butter? What the hell is going on? Turn the corner, there are eggs on a shelf. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Right next to the milk. That and was like, the
0: biggest confusion.
1: So weird, so weird. And like, and I in in Canada, it's like widely understood that you reg, like you refrigerate your eggs. However, as a baker, I use a lot of like room temp eggs. So I will sometimes have like two or three eggs on the counter. But like that's usually if I know I'm going to be cooking and I need them to be at room temperature because like room temperature ingredients is really important for things not splitting. Um, But yeah, I remember a lot of my there were some colleagues, though, like it's definitely not a all of France doesn't refrigerate their eggs. Like there are people who refrigerate their eggs. I had colleagues who did and then colleagues who swore that you didn't need to and you shouldn't. Yeah, so, see, like, that's...
0: Who knows? That's, I'm, like, happy. It's not an argument, because my partner grew up like that, so his family is in the contingent right. of... Ref- <laughs> it was not a debate. We were just <laughs> both like, yeah, like, you in the French. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's and fair. I, but to yeah. round out, I think, our convo here on the different ingredients and also Julia Child's influence, which we will continue to talk about as we cook, because we're both going to yeah. be channeling her, obviously. But I think it's such an <laughs> important note that this book was written over a span of 10 years in collaboration with particularly one other French person. Like, the second one kind of, like yeah, got made... Anyways, drama. But <laughs> they, they <laughs> had a, nice drama. a lot of difficulties and spent a lot of time making sure that every recipe could be done in the U.S. because that's what was hard. It was adapting French recipes to what was available in U.S. stores, but in the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. In the 50s and 60s when this is being written. And so that changes, right? You know, I don't necessarily go to the French market often. That's like a special treat. Right. I can. I, but I also just go to a grocery store very much like I would in the U.S. And yeah, the selection's slightly different. But, you know, that's changed. In the 50s and 60s, it was way less common to go to Cora or Carrefour or Manoprix. Like, you would still go to your Marché. And so I think that's also true in the U.S., right? Like, you would have had those cornerstone butcher shops. You would have had those cornerstone places. And it wouldn't have been these giant Walmarts and Targets and Schnucks and Harris Teeters. So, like, that's a bit different. I don't know. You're the one that has her book. But do you find that some of these things are not possible anymore or, like, hard to actually get?
1: So I would recommend that everybody watch this the movie with um, Amy Adams and Meryl Streep. Julie. Yes, Julie and Julia, and um, my favorite thing about that is that there's a whole chapter on aspics, which is like a gelled foods, gelatin based like food, basically, and that is so dated. Obviously, like mm-hmm. in the '60s and that time period, that was 100% what people were like. It was a cool thing to be making. I find it really freaking gross. And I am not going to be like making any aspects, you know, yeah. it's just not for me. I think some of this stuff is really accessible. And one of the things she talks about in the foreword is about like how she really wants to teach people techniques so that they're able to cook like the French, but they don't necessarily need a recipe. So some of this stuff is like, you know the way we're going to fry the chicken and then add flour that will thicken a sauce later is like learning how to thicken sauces without it being clumpy or without it Uh being a a late addition, cook out the flour so it doesn't have that taste. Right. Like a lot of this is just learning how things go together and then taking that onto your own recipes. Um, And then I just want to like, use a quote from her forward because I think it's really lovely <laughs> and she, she says cooking is not a particularly difficult art and the more you cook and learn about cooking the more sense it makes but like any art it requires practice and expertise Um, the most important ingredient you can bring to it is love of cooking for its own sake which I just Aww. think is really lovely and I think is true like I think people get scared when trying anything new and you know we shouldn't be scared. We should just try it, and if we mess it up, we'll learn from it. As long as you're doing it in earnest, I feel like that's the most important part.
0: She always said, "Keep your head up high when serving things. Never apologize." <laughs> so yeah, with that, let's do it. Incredible. Let's keep our heads up high, and let's let's conquer this dish. <laughs> Just to get you in the the mood to cook along with us on Sunday for a traditional French Sunday dinner.
1: Yes, so we decided to do a fricassé poulet à l'ancienne, or as she writes in the book, old-fashioned chicken fricasse with wine-flavored cream sauce, onions, and mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So we will the have is
0: watering. <laughs>
1: We will have the ingredients on our blog and the entire recipe for you. But in general, what you're going to need is frying chicken. We talk about that. Don't know what that is. You need chicken. You need onions, butter, you need celery, you need carrot, you need lots of salt, and you need chicken stock and of course, wine. We can't have of
0: course anything
1: without wine. Uh, French wine, of course. <laughs> Julia suggests a fairly full-bodied Burgundy Rhône, or Bordeaux Grave. So take this as your note to grab some wine.
0: At your local grocer this week and get cooking with us. All right. Oh, don't forget there's eggs and cream as well, right?
1: Yes, there are. Yeah, yeah I
0: was going to say this fricassee with the sauce is just so good.
1: The sauce is delicious. Yep, yeah, there is onions uh mushrooms egg yolks whipping cream and she mentions you will need a wire whisk as well there was some whisking involved
0: i'm pretty sure she said whip didn't we have a discussion (laughs) you are correct (laughs) she said whip you're right i'm so sorry i got that wrong how could we forget (laughs) well come chat drink a glass of your favorite french white wine or non-french if you're just not feeling it but we'll we'll be there and we're so excited to share this experience with you a bientôt A bientôt